Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Spoken Word. My name is Di Cousins and today I'm interviewing Anne Elvey. Um, Anne has previously been on the program and um, she has a new book out, This Flesh That You Know. Um, Anne is also a very uh, visible member of the poetry community. She's the editor of the Plumwood Mountain Journal and uh, she's a volunteer with the Melbourne Poets Union and contributes in lots of different ways and is also published in many different magazines. Um, and previously I spoke to her on Spoken Word when she released her volume called Kin, which uh, came out in 2014. So welcome, Anne. Oh, thanks, Di. Nice to be here. Mm. So the title poem of your new collection is called This Flesh That You Know. I was wondering if you'd like to read it. I will. This flesh that you know is all that you have. You saw the long sweep of the scoop of pelicans cross the stop-start peak. Their synchronous glide was broken by one pair of wings and then another that worked the air, not quite in time, and over again they wheeled. Their pinions, as they faded and dropped to the south or down to land, had their own logic, like skin and its silence. You can learn you have privilege, but still not feel it. The traffic pulls toward order. You find yourself like a broad-billed bird en route to familiar water, where litter is caught in silt. The driver in front stops. You break. The wings hang on the sky. They churn air against gravity. They obey a will, not to fall. So, Anne, what was the inspiration behind that poem? Um, Well, a couple of things. At one level, I was thinking about white privilege as I was driving along. And um, I was on Springvale Road, and I don't really drive in Picow very often. In fact, I don't drive all that much um, because I work from home. Um, And I can't remember why I was on Springvale Road at peak time, but we're in stop-start traffic. And as we were in the traffic, I was watching these um, pelicans um, fly across and down. And um, and then (laughs) a bit distracted, so... (laughs) Had to stop. So there were a number of elements just from what actually happened, but um, I guess it's there was more to it about you know their being and what they were doing, and um, and just that bringing that together with what I was thinking about um, in terms of my privilege as a white person. Yes, well, it's a it's a very evocative series of images. You know, the image of this amazing formation of birds that somehow hangs in the sky. Mm. Yeah, against, um, you know, the logic of gravity. Um, And uh, tell me, how did you come to be putting together um, this new chapbook? Well, after Kin, um, I guess I worked on some new poems and I had some older poems that I hadn't put in Kin. And one day I just happened to be looking at the Australian Poetry website 
and saw this Canadian competition for a small chapbook of poems. And um, they asked for 15 poems that had not been previously published in a collection but could have been published in journals. Um, and I thought, well, oh, I might have some poems that would fit together. So I sort of went back and looked through my poems and put them together and did a bit of editing or some heavy editing on some of them and um, sent them off. And, and it was quite a nice competition because you put in your competition fee and you actually got a free book. So it wasn't like it felt like the fee was a big burden anyway. That would have been around November last year. And in January, I got an email saying I'd won. Yay! Because there were, well, they gave a Canadian winner and an international winner. And apparently they weren't surprised that there was an Australian winner because they felt there was a bit of an affinity between Canada and Australia in any case. Right. So that was nice. It's, and it's fantastic. Uh, when was the book published? I think it came out in about July, August. Right. Um, and the prize was getting cop- was copies of the book. Right. And they're, they're hand-stitched, which is really nice. Mm. And a small amount towards a launch. <laughs> so that was nice too. Great. So you had your launch party a few weeks ago. Yeah. And who, who launched the book? Um, Garth Madsen. Um, as many people would know Garth, um, a fa- quite well-known poet from Frankston. Yes. And we had the launch at my house in Seaford. So, mm. yeah. Mm. So mm. that was lovely and he did a lovely job. He did a great job. Mm. Um, would you like to read another poem? Um, this poem is about my father and in the last line it refers, it just adapts a line from his wartime diary which he actually gave me when I, was, when I turned 18. Christmas holidays at home. From the shadows of sand and clear water and tiny fishes scooting, the gulls high and the shark patrol buzzing beneath streaks of white across a possible blue. You take us out, up to your knees and teach us to dive and swim between your legs. The day is sticky with ice cream. You build small things and maintain the house. There are family games on Sundays. You sketch two intersecting squares and join the vertices to form a cube. You give things perspective. You grip me with stories and sleep. I've got a bone to pick with you. You hold the tool I left out in the rain. You quote me Kipling's If and Gray's Allergy. You give me your wartime diary with a few pages cut out. I am 18, reading you at 21. Moritai, August 15, 1945. We learn to walk with limbless hearts. Very beautiful. Thank you. And and what was happening in the moment that you decided to write that particular poem? I don't know. <laughs> Just writing about my dad. He was still alive at that stage. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I got. I liked my dad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, he always wanted to be a writer, and he didn't really get round to it, or you know, he had too much else to do. Yes. Yeah. So, but he he wrote a few things in this wartime diary. Hmm. And he had to leave school at 13, so... But it is a beautiful line. We learn to walk with limbless it hearts. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think his was slightly different, but it had the limbless hearts image. And he actually had written... Yeah, so he wrote it on the last day of the war when he was in Moritai. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And Moritai is in Kokoda or where? No, it's um, one of the islands of Indonesia, I think. It's up that way. Right, yeah. yeah. 
We might just go to a track. Um, this is from the artist Gwino, a Welsh artist, and it's uh, the new. The album is called Why Did Olaf. <laughs> morning. I woke in a strange dream of a priest who pitied the child born to the mother, no longer a nun. From the pew behind, I was the eye that spoke up to power. When I woke, the light was soft, grey, with a promise of rain. But on the ear, the camellia, with its early winter splashes of deep pink, squawked the squawk of a wattle bird answered from the next yard. I wrote you a card, knowing I would not see you again in this, the only transience we have. Dressed and breakfasted, I walked for 40 minutes to the beach and back, where the sea and sky bled into each other, a wash of blue and grey, a tone I recalled from the stained glass florets of a Mary window. I posted the card on the way, not knowing you had already died. Yes, beautiful. So tell me about that. So it was about a particular friend. It was about a particular friend, um, Carol Hogan, who was um, a Blessed Sacrament sister. But um, the reference to the nun isn't isn't to her. Um, It was something that came up in a dream. Um, She was in her early 80s, um, diagnosed with, um, I think it was pancreatic cancer, and um, toward the end, around Christmas, not last year, the year before, um, so two years ago nearly, and um, prior to that she'd been very active, both with family and um, in Akrath, which is um, an anti-slave trafficking or trafficking organisation, um, and she, you know, lobbied in Canberra and various things, and um, so her diagnosis was quite sudden, and um, she was only a few months really before she was in um, palliative care, 
And um, in the last sort of months, she could really only see very, very close friends because she was so tired. So I'd seen her about a month before she died and I kind of knew that I wouldn't. This this Mm. morning I sort of knew that I really wouldn't see her again. So I wrote to her and... um, and then when I got home, mm. um, I heard that she'd already died. Yeah. So, yeah. It was, um, it's one sort of those of, times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. a moment when everything sort of comes together on some level. Yeah. 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 So, mm. I, but she was a very interesting woman. She'd been through a lot of changes in the Roman Catholic Church from being in an enclosed order to being very social justice oriented um, women, strong women in mm-hmm. living part of, still part of their community overall but living individually and um, you know in solidarity with other women and engaged yeah. in the community outside yeah yeah well working yeah. on um, ending the trafficking of women is a excellent project yeah 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 religious sisters in Victoria are very involved in that across different congregations yeah i've met i've met some religious sisters also who are very supportive of refugees exactly yeah yeah especially bridget arthur right (laughs) many yeah yeah many many bridgetine sisters um and and though it was a dream i was in a religious order in my 20s and that was the bridgetine sisters so i'm actually quite proud of having a connection to them because Mm. they have a very strong social justice focus especially with asylum seekers and refugees and they have a Bridgetine Asylum Seeker project. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, well, these are all amazing things. And in mm. India, we used to say drops of water fill a glass, so which means lots mm. of little things make a difference. I hope so. I think they do. Yeah, yeah. it's hard to do big things. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we can do little things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so have you got a bit of a social justice theme to the collection, do you think, or...? What 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 are the I think, binding themes? Yeah. Do you think in the I, I think collection? really what brought the collection together was more what you might call slightly domestic themes. Okay, and that might be why I though I would like to see the domestic in a a wider, more than human frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in a way that's why I put these together mm-hmm. because I was thinking another larger collection might go in a different direction. Right. Um, I'm not sure yet, but. That would be – so I thought these – because they had some of those domestic – sort of, well, domestic in inverted commas, but things about family and small objects and objects in the house and things like that um, might fit together. Yeah. Yes, and I think there's a lot of beauty in a small collection to um, convey a mood and a, a, a particular focus, mm. which can be very fractured, you know, if you have a much larger book. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you can have a more concentrated uh, attention. Mm. So you're listening to 3CR Spoken Word Program. My name is Di Cousins, and today we're interviewing Anne Elvie about This Flesh That You Know, which is a new chapbook. Um there's a rather interesting poem here about um, a cuneiform tablet in the State Library of Victoria. Mm. I'm wondering if you'd like to read that. Okay. Well, this tablet is still there, I think. I haven't looked late recently, but I think it's still there. Cuneiform tablet in the State Library of Victoria. What can no longer be touched 
the aged skin, the rare, rests in a muted light, in a spotlight. Short print runs and handmade things inhabit a cave of black petitions with glass echoes of the old museum and its walkthroughs housing phosphorescent rocks. Now that labyrinthine place is angled steel, here are the beat poets, Botanica in 19th century inks, a Torah scroll and an ancient notepad of clay. The wedges signify stock whose descendants were skinned for the scroll under glass or for a codex named for a mountain. On the third floor, under the library's dome, by a roped-off spiral stair, the indentations in the clay recall the press of a sharpened reed. Tablets of this size were also used for travel inventories and sacrificial lists. They hardened in fire or sun. This palm pilot was stacked for burning. Framed against the dark in a precise atmosphere, it is preserved under glass. I cannot leave my trace, nor weigh its matter in a glove. Three clasps hold it like a jewel. Yes, and they're very, very special, those cuneiform mm. tablets, aren't they? Mm. Some of the first recorded writing, I think. Yeah, but it struck me it was for everyday use, mm. like just recording stock and so on. Mm. So it was a bit like our little palm, our little tablets mm -hmm. now. It had um, yeah, very mundane use. Yeah, but it's amazing how mm. things become something else when they're under glass. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember a um, an exhibition, uh, it was like a surrealist exhibition, which had a huge pile of black jelly beans in one corner and that, you know, had turned into art ah, yeah. in the gallery. Mm. So I took some. I think, <laughs> I think everyone was invited to take some. <laughs> yeah, but mm. uh, yeah, and again, the State Library of Victoria is a wonderful repository of special things. Yes, yeah. And I guess I was also referring to like childhood memories of when you wandered through when it was the museum. Yes. And um, those, you know, the, the aisles you'd go through that had the phosphorescent rocks and... I didn't put it in here, but, you know, the machines, you, you press the button and something happened. Yeah. Yeah. And but, stuffed animals mm, and things. Mm, mm. Oh, yeah. Taxidermy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm. Okay. So um, now recently you've been um, uh, published uh, in the Australian Poetry Journal. Mm. Um, would you like to read that poem? Okay. So this poem is called Freight um, and it's from... It actually came about um, some years ago when I went on a bit of, well, walkabout, but in, in a car um, in um, South Australia. Freight. My ravelled pasts uncoil along the level way I take to Spencer Gulf. The Murray stretches beside me, a diversion unseen in its shell. Its pipeline is like the lizard that warmed itself under the road train of the nation. Strong curves lie on the verge, ochre and ruddy, hide and hind. The rust of the soil runs in Clare's wine. The lead of Piri 
in the children's blood. Sheep are the colour of country. At Port Augusta I read that Flinders sailed until the water turned to ground. In his ranges dry scrub hugs the soil. I hug the road. A kingfisher holds to a dead limb. Three emus pause in bow and peck beside a fence, while a raven tastes the blue tongue's broken flesh. The track The Traveller from the EP Drifter by the Melbourne band Zion. 
So we're talking to Anne Elvey, who's just produced a new book, This Flesh That You Know. Um, Anne, what else have you been working on lately? Um, well, I've been um, uploading the content for Plumwood Mountain Journal, the um, special issue and archive for Martin Harrison, um, a New South Wales poet who um, died just over a year ago. And Peter Minter and Stuart Cook were the guest editors for an issue of Plumwood Mountain that's dedicated to honouring Martin and his work um, in eco-poetry and eco-poetics. Um, and that um, issue has sort of spread out a bit, um, so it's, it's being added to as we go. Um, and um, there's also poems um, out for the February issue um, with the guest editor for that issue, Tricia Dearborn. Um, also been editing a chapbook for um, Melbourne Poets Union um, by Castlemaine poet um, Catherine Seppings, and that's out now. Um, so it's called um, When Embers Dance. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's got a gorgeous cover. Oh, great. Yeah. I look forward to reading yeah. it. Mm. Yeah, and you've so. also had a poem in a new book. Tell mm. me about the new book. Um, well, Donna Ward at um, Inkerman and Blunt had this idea that poems are the prayers of our secular world, um, secular not being opposed to religious, but... Um, and um, she got um, Kevin Brophy and Geordie Elberston to edit a collection which has um, just been launched recently um, in November. So... Um, yes, I have one poem in that. Oh, would you like to read it? Yeah, thank you, I would. Yeah, it's called You Are. You are my creek, slow to clear, alert elegance of a white neck beside the litter trap, a gaze shared across species. You are five ducks breaking the meniscus. They tolerate algal blooms. You paddle the life of us with your webbed feet under. You are the indifference of the rain or of sea that accepts the heavy metal of our dross. The bilge of a ship that rides the horizon's unhurried rail. The sun sinks behind the headlines. You have not read the IPCC reports. You shrug. The sky darkens. You are the nonchalance of storms. The ocean makes its advance. Too late, we stack sandbags. We dare not say pity or spare us. That's uh, a very interesting poem. What did you mean by do not pity or spare us in the last line? Well, I think, I guess with the poem I was thinking about how we might think about the divine in relation to climate change. And it was about not letting ourselves off the hook with, um, with some idea of a God that might save us. So I think that's where the, why the last line goes there. Um, and, yeah. At the same time, there is hope. Well, there is, yeah. But I think I would say at least that hope's a choice against despair in the face of the evidence right so so it's it's a, an orientation toward the future that's 
that empowers one to still act. Yes, yeah. yes. I think it's important to keep acting and to keep making change. Yeah. Change yeah. is always possible. Exactly. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we will make enough change to as individuals. But if we don't do anything, then... We can be sure that yeah. things will get worse. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's sort of having some courage to hope sort of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. a balance. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, This has been the Spoken Word Program and we've been talking to Anne Elvey. Thank you. A quick word about the live poetry gigs in Melbourne. The Dan O'Connell Hotel in Carlton has poetry on every Saturday afternoon and Passionate Tongues is at the Brunswick Hotel every second Monday night. Westward happens out at the Dancing Dog Cafe in Footscray twice a month on Sunday afternoons. Voices in the Attic is run fortnightly on Tuesday evenings at 30 Dirk, Level 1 and 2, 239 Lonsdale Street. The House of Bricks, on or near the last day of every month, run by our very own Santo Katsati, that's me, corner of Bud and Keel Streets, Collingwood. Melbourne Poets Union is usually on the last Wednesday of the month at the Wheeler Centre. All of these gigs have open mics if you'd like to try your hand at sharing your work or you can just go to listen. Check out the website, melbournespokenword.com, to find out more about the scene.